everyone, welcome to episode 72 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. Uh, Ginny's not here this week, she's off with uh, personal stuff to deal with, but someone who did get over here was Andrew Brown. Yeah, this is Andrew, and here to tell you don't listen to Ondor's lies. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, so it uh, should be a good episode this week. We're going to cover Mortal Kombat's first appearance on Switch in Mortal Kombat 11. Uh, we're going to talk pretty in-depth about Final Fantasy XII, uh, and we're going to touch on an older game that's been doing the rounds in the sales called One Strike. Uh, so let's get on with it. Okay, so no real news to talk of. Uh, Nintendo did announce the direct details, but everyone's going to be tuned into that anyway. Uh, so let's just get right into the stuff we're playing. So as I said at the top of the show, I've been playing Mortal Kombat 11, uh, the Switch port, which is interesting. The, the one thing everyone's going to want to know about, first of all, is performance. I'd heard bad things about it and seen screenshots before I jumped in. Uh, and my takeaway from it is that it, it looks basically fine. Uh, it looked a lot better than I thought it would be. It, it runs at a smooth frame rate. There's some weirdness going on in, in this port where uh, as the characters are sort of doing their pre-fight animations, it looks like really rough and, and pixelated, but then as soon as the fight starts... It looks clear as daisies, uh, so I don't know what's going on there. They've got around like the the hair, uh, characters' facial hair, and you know long long hairstyles by doing like this weird crosshatch effect, which sort of shimmies oddly in like cutscenes and things. Uh, so it looks like they're flickering. Uh, so it's weird seeing like their facial hair, even their eyelashes have the same effect, which is uh, <laughs> pretty hilarious. Uh, I have noticed that some stages look nicer than others, and some stages have different effects on the character models. Uh, so some look nicer on s- some stages, but on other than others. So it's a, it's a bit inconsistent uh, with a K. Uh, just assume I'm saying every C here with a K instead, just to be on theme. Uh, the combat itself, uh, very similar to Mortal Kombat 10. It's got a, a lovely flow, everything feels weighty, there's a nice impact to all the moves and all the, the standard attacks. I, I said a couple of times leading up to this that uh, I was looking forward to MK11 on Switch just as an excuse to use the, the fight stick I bought for Switch, and I've I've come away ending up playing it mostly on pad because the way Mortal Kombat works differently to something like Street Fighter, which is the, the fighting game I'm, I'm most in tune with. Me and Andrew have clashed on this one before, but it has a block button, a dedicated block button. As it should. Nope, it's an aberration. You're an aberration. The way it's positioned, I just can't get my head around moving my fingers away from attack buttons to to block. It's just too many years of Street Fighter, I just can't untrain my brain. Isn't it on a shoulder button? Not on fight stick, because it's one of the shoulder buttons or the face buttons. So I've switched to pad, and it makes it a little more bearable because the block is a shoulder button. So I've ended up going against my normal inclination to play on fight stick and i'm playing this mostly with controller which works out because when you play it in handheld you don't have that you know arcade stick layout anyway uh so one of the main draws or has been since nk9 has been the story mode uh, and this offers no real surprises it's still like a a gory 80s b-movie martial arts thing it's just absolutely nonsense but i kind of like it it's it, schlocky characters they sort of explains the cont- context for characters fighting which is often just because they looked at each other the wrong way or bumped into each other uh, in fact the first fight that you have in the story mode you play as cassie cage who is in the same army as her mother her mother's just given her a promotion and to celebrate they have a fist fight <laughs> yeah that 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 sounds like another realm story mode <laughs> yeah 
Uh, but it, it's entertaining, has some twists and turns, you, there's some things you don't see, involves some interesting stuff with uh, time travel. I really like this format for finding game story modes. I kind of wish there was um, some impact to the choices you make, like they take away everything, like fatalities or brutalities, like like no character actually dies properly in the course of the story. And I, I would love to see some sort of like choice consequence. Um, it the, the story does offer you a couple of moments where you get to choose between which character you're going to play as in a chapter. Uh, so one of them is, do you play as Scorpion or do you play as Sub-Zero? Sub-Zero every time, especially if you want to unlock Frost. And that's the only real consequence from that, is that uh, if you choose Scorpion in Chapter 4, you might miss out on unlocking Frost. Don't worry, you can get her in a, an extortionate way I'm going to talk about later. Runs, like the fight engine stuff runs really well. It's the actual cutscenes that don't run well, so they're they're pretty much movie files, they're not in engine. I don't know if they're in engine on the other versions, uh, and it, there's a, a slight stutter as it shifts between the story and game engine. And I had a couple of sound issues where one of the characters' sound dropped out, but that was just a one-off. Uh, and the other issue I had with this was it has a really, really rubbish end boss fight. Uh, for me, all boss fights should be, especially in fighting games, like something that challenges challenges you to use everything that you've learnt while playing the game. Instead, this sort of chip breaks its own rules and has you not being able to use your special moves because they have no impact on this on this end, end boss. And you just end up, like, cheesing really rubbish standard combos because nothing works. You can't do any of your really flashy, lengthy stuff. Um, and the ending was a bit a bit disappointing, but... Hmm. Uh, overall, it's a good time. It's, it's definitely... If you, if you enjoyed the story mode in MK9 and MK11, sorry, MK10, you, you, you'll enjoy it. You'll be in good stuff here. Getting on to some of the sour stuff, there's a lot of gross paid stuff in here. So there's uh, multiple currencies for unlocking things. Uh, there's a store where uh, they charge you its premium currency, which are crystals, with a K. Most of the stuff costs around 500 crystals, so at the very least... They do charge you appropriately, so if you want something for 500 crystals, you can just buy a pack for 500 for 8 bucks. So it's at least, you know, like a, a decent... Everything's in a different price range for what you buy. Uh, on the store, you can get skins, fatalities, there's consumables for other modes. It's just the way they, they front-load it is a bit gross to me. It feels like it's a free-to-play game, even the presentation is similar to something like Fortnite or Paladins. The season pass, they... they make it front and center here as well it's it's 60 bucks uh for six characters and a bunch of skins and gear i don't know like i just spent 80 bucks au on this and i don't really want to pay another 60 yeah i I just it's it's really uh, you know a lot of time with the the argument for dlc is you know like it it's not made beforehand it's you know it's not saved to sell to you later but for the stuff that's on the store, like that stuff exists already, like you can buy it with real money, it does exist, and that's that's where I always feel a bit grimy with that stuff. Um, and there's even like tying in with the Fortnite Paladins thing, there's daily challenges that you can do in combat that will unlock, help you unlock some currency and things. So uh, that all has sort of a, a knock-on effect on on the crypt. Uh, now you were a big fan of the crypt in previous versions, were you? I love the crypt in Mortal Kombat 10 because it was like a old school dungeon crawler that you would walk around in and sometimes you get ambushed by like a spider and you had to do a quick time event and you could stab it in midair and you'd get some coins for it and then there were like puzzles you had to solve in it and 
it was an actual area you had to explore to find all the treasure, so it wasn't just picking rewards from a menu. But it wasn't perfect, but it was it was hokey and it was kind of silly, and I enjoyed it. So, so this is similar. So it's set on um, Shang Tsung's island. Uh, you, you're, a, you know, an original character. You turn up, and his ghost tells you that you're welcome to all of its treasures within reason. Uh, and basically, he means you have to work for it. Uh, so this, in this one, it's not like a, you know, like a dungeon crawler. It's a free roaming game. You see your character. Uh, this is the one area of MK11 on Switch that does look bad compared to the other versions. Um, there's flat textures. It's pretty blocky. Uh, there were points where I was, you, you know, like on Unreal Engine, where you, a game will like load and they'll be blank just for a second, and then the proper texture will load in. Yeah, pop ins. Yeah. Yeah, you're sort of waiting for the pop-in and it never comes <laughs> in some areas. But it works exactly the same as far as I can tell. Uh, basically, the halls are all lined with chests that cost you uh, money to open. So this is money that you earn like over the course of the story mode or in the tower modes, which we'll get onto shortly. Um, and despite every treasure chest being literally full of gold when you open it, like, like it still costs you the money to open it. That's just a weird, <laughs> like, story discrepancy that was just doing my head in. Uh, but with each chest, you unlock fatalities, art, costume customizations, all that sort of stuff. Uh, there are puzzles, like rudimentary puzzles. There was one where it was a a pillar with three rotating sections, and I had to match the dead body parts on it to unlock a door. My my problem with this is I did spend a bit of time on the crypt in mk10 and i did like it but here it's because of the free roaming nature it adds nothing and it's pretty boring because you're just running forward a few steps and then opening a chest Mm. waiting waiting for the thing to show you what you've got then you're running a few steps forward i sort of wish they'd tied this in with maybe the towers or you know like there's no fights or anything it'd be cool if you could you know customize this character and actually use them in any way instead you're just sort of looking around looking for items that will then open up new areas it's not without its charm i'm just finding it a bit boring and i'm not feeling the drive to go back and unlock the things um the classic towers are still here so they're there's rudimentary you know like go through the x amount of fighters and then you get an ending which is uh, all artwork like animated artwork but there are some switch ups where there's a survivor mode where you have to get through 25 fighters with the same health bar your health carries over each time but the the real draw here really is the towers of time mode uh, which is you know everything has to have a live service now this is their version uh, i haven't played injustice 2 yet but i believe it's very similar to the multiverse mode basically the towers uh, sort of refresh constantly and have different challenges different modifiers so there's like the enemy might be to poison you or send rockets out of a blood portal for no reason and then you can get consumables to to combat that or even skip fights entirely Uh, or call in a character to jump in and do a move much like you've seen in marvel vs capcom i've only sort of dipped my toe in this i'm on the verge of finishing the final tutorial tower and then i get to see what it's actually like but I'm enjoying it so far, and I think this is where you earn most of the, the currencies that you'll then use to unlock the stuff in the crypt. Uh, I have seen some stuff about the crypt where... Sorry, about the towers where the rewards aren't a great deal, and the, there's a sense that they're really encouraging you to spend the money on things. Like, they're, they're really trying to 
get those dollars out of you and uh, Netherrealm have actually commented and said yep we can see that we agree and they're going to be changing it in the future uh, in fact for logging in I got some bonus gold just you know as way of apology so it, it seems like they're listening uh, I'm not sure if this is a thing that's come down from Warner Brothers I would imagine it was after the whole uh, Shadow of War thing and you think they would have learned lessons from that but it doesn't seem like they have but yeah, overall, it's a solid port. I'm I'm not disappointed that I I've played it first on Switch by any means. Um, I probably wouldn't play it online here a lot. I'm probably going to pick it up on other formats for that. I'm waiting to see what those uh, fixes to the the unlocks and the currencies are. Uh, I also just realized I forgot to talk about the gross thing. So Frost, she is a secret character. She's unlockable in the story mode if you you choose Sub Zero four times in Chapter Four, <laughs> which is a really easy way to get her because you can replay the chapters you know, at the drop of a hat. But if you don't want to just make these four choices, you can actually buy her, which, again, feels super gross. Uh, you can also buy Shao Kahn, who was a pre-order bonus character, which is fair enough. If people haven't pre-ordered, then, you know, they'll have to front up for that. But, uh, yeah, it just seemed really grubby to be charging for a character that's easily unlocked. And I can't see that people wouldn't be able to get to that point, you know, like super quick to do it. So I- I'm not sure what their thinking was in that but yeah overall it's a good fighting game i'm still going to be chipping away at the towers for a little bit i'm not sure how how long they'll they'll keep me going i feel like it's that's more your sort of thing than mine because i know you like unlocks and progression <laughs> and that sort of stuff really gets it sucks into you but you know i, I want to keep playing it for a bit longer it, it's a pretty good fighting game uh one other thing sorry i just wanted to mention before we move on to something else uh, it has a really awesome tutorial uh this is something that's becoming really consistent with Netherrealms fighting games. Uh, they, they go into su- superb detail, even in terms of like indicators for uh, timing of the combos that you need to do, so you can get a good idea of how quickly you need to hit buttons uh, to actually successfully pull off a combo. A lot of fighting games just sort of don't teach you that. Um, Tekken in particular, which are a game I love, but it took me a while to sort of gel with the getting the combos nailed. Uh, this, this sort of gives you the tools a lot better than a lot of fighting games. So yeah. Uh, from one fighting game and on to another, so uh, One Strike. Uh, this is a game that we both picked picked up on sale. I think you picked it up a while ago, right? Oh, so long ago, I don't even remember. <laughs> it was sometime last year. So it usually retails for like seven bucks Australia. It's on sale at the moment. There's some really good games in the sale, by the way. So I recommend having a scan through the store page. Got it for one dollar sixty. Um, in fact, it didn't cost me anything because I had the the coins there to spend on it and i'm i'm happy with the one dollar sixty that i spent i think anymore i might have felt a bit shortchanged uh but it's uh it's kind of like a 2d take on bushido blade do you ever play bushido blade no okay so bushido blade is like this uh fighting game based on asian martial arts and sword play and it's basically one hit kill in bushido blade you can actually target limbs to sort of slow your opponent down or make it easier to get that final strike this doesn't have this it's just you're either blocking or attacking uh there's a bunch of different fighting styles uh, one for each character which um i'm you know not gonna go in there's like different types of samurai there's there's dudes with pointy staffs there's size there's and they all have different attack animations there's not much to be found here so there's one life mode where you have to get through all the fighters with the one life uh which you can start again i'm i this is where i've spent most of my time so far i haven't beat it yet mm-hmm yeah uh, uh, and i'm finding the the first guy kenji he sucks yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been going with him mostly and i've i can't remember the guy who had the 
the big stuff, but I've been switching to him, and he's been pretty useful. Uh, by along, yeah. Yeah. But I, it's it's a nice little tactical fighter, different, you know, different style to to all the the big name ones. It's uh, no figuring out when to, when to block, when to unleash, how you punish. I like it from that aspect. I guess it, with the one hit kill thing, it's similar to dive kick i'm not sure if you've played that no <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's another one one hit kill fighting game which is based on the premise that dive kicks are overpowered in all fighting games but yeah how, how are you finding this this one in terms of its uh, combat mechanics uh, it's okay i don't think it's balanced very well because i spent not a super long time i don't want to say i spent a long time playing this game because i didn't and because there's really not much here to justify playing this game for that long uh but i spent a good chunk of the time that I spent playing this game playing is Kenji, who is like the first character in the lineup, and I assume is kind of the mascot character for it. And uh, he's just got this samurai sword, and he can block, and he can dash back and forth, but his range isn't very good, and that's kind of seems to be the whole thing in this game is range, because uh, I, I spent a lot of time struggling with him just to beat the game, and most of the time I would lose to the second character you fight, who is Sujiru, who has a really fast attack that has a really wide range on it, and it's really hard to block, I found. Uh, I thought that was kind of the strategy that I was supposed to do, was to block and then unleash an attack to punish. And I found more often than not that the attack was coming out faster than I could block it, yeah, especially with Sujiru, who seemed to attack pretty much in the blink of an eye with almost no warning. So I switched to Sujiru after that, and it's like, I'm going to try that, see how that works out for me. I couldn't attack nearly that fast. I don't know what I'm doing wrong with them. <laughs> uh, but I kept going down the list. Uh, there's Tomoe, who was even worse than Kenji. She, she has no range at all. But then you start getting down to the rest of them with uh, Hangaku, Bailong, Hinade, and Oni, who have really incredible reach. And since this is a one-hit kill game, reach is super important. So yes, I actually, I did manage to beat the game with those four, and then I circled back around to Kenji, and I did beat the game with him, but that felt more like luck than actually anything else. <laughs> I just, I got a string of AI that left themselves open in just the right way where I was able to beat the game. But just the characters don't feel bad balanced in their abilities like Bylong, who is the guy with the big long staff with the blade on the end of it he actually has multiple attacks he's got his forward attack which moves him forward with a lot of range and if you use the backdash ability with him he does an attack at the end of that too so you can attack by moving forward if you miss you dash it back and he'll attack it one more time and one of those is probably going to get you a win on that and even if the ai is blocking really well you know, they just statistically, you're likely to win. Uh, and Hangaku has a Hangaku is interesting because she can't actually block, but she has this blade on a rope that she spins around, which gives her a lot of range. And then her block is actually a melee attack at very close range. And I actually had the easiest time with her. And then Hinode is just a ninja, but she jumps forward and she moves really fast and stabs really quick. You know, I had a pretty good easy time with her. And then there's Oni who is slow and can't forward dash but he has this giant giant blade so 
it wasn't too hard winning with him either. <laughs> uh, it's an interesting game. It's an interesting concept, but it just didn't feel balanced at all. I just I can't even imagine why you would play as Kenji or Tomoe, and there must be something that I'm not understanding about the mechanics because I'm I'm pretty blunt force playing a game like this. I just go for the win. I just attack, attack, attack. That's how I play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Uh, uh, if you're a really technical player, you might get more out of this than I did, but I played this, I liked it, you know, I spent a couple bucks on it, so I'm not mad, but it is what it is. Yeah, it's definitely worth a look at the the current price, especially, uh, so yeah, if you fancy something a bit different, it's it's worth a look. Uh, and then on to the other big game for the week, uh, which is Final Fantasy XII, the Zodiac Age, remastered for Switch, uh, I... I plan on getting all these Final Fantasy games yet, but I just can't justify the time, so I'm just holding off. Hopefully I'm going to pick yeah. them up on sale later. Sure you will. Uh, I'm, the, I'm the resident Final Fantasy fan, so I will get them <laughs> at some point. Um, so, uh, how are you finding this one? Oh, Final Fantasy twelve was one of the last games. No, that's not true. <laughs> I was going to say it's one of the last games to come out on PlayStation 2, but no, actually, PlayStation 2 kept coming out with games for a long time. Final Fantasy 12 was a later game for the PlayStation 2, let's put it that way. And it had a lot of problems, but I did really like it. And a lot of those problems are addressed in this remaster, but uh, none of those problems actually have to do with the plot, which is the first thing that I want to talk about. One thing they were trying to do with Final Fantasy XII, where they were trying to do this thing called the Evilese Alliance, which was this whole multiverse of games that included Final Fantasy Tactics and Vagrant Story on PS1 retroactively, and then all these other games that they made that drew in elements of those two games, like Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, and Final Fantasy Tactics Advance 2, and Final Fantasy XII were all part of this series as well. So they're all set in the same basic world. They all have the same like races and characters, and they all have more political stories rather than standard, you know, hero's quest. And that holds true for Final Fantasy XII because most of the characters' actions are actually expressed through these political machinations rather than through these quests for an ultimate power. So like, if you go back to Final Fantasy VI, where you meet Kefka, and the first thing he does is he poisons the water source in this castle to kill everybody nothing like that in this game there's even the first time that you meet your main villain in this game he actually talks down this crowd that is mad at him because he's the new console in this occupied kingdom that you play in and he talks him down and they actually end up applauding him because the things he says is so nice and understandable and cool and then he hosts a dinner that goads the rebels into attacking him and then he ambushes the rebels and gets them all killed so that's that's how the villains in this game actually operate they're much more subtle they're not as overt and they're a lot more sensible about the things they do they're not becoming a god and cracking the earth in half just because now the big debate about this game as a lot of people have is is vaughn and I, i'm kind of in the camp with them uh, that he's a pointless character. He doesn't have anything to do in the plot, really. That doesn't really start out that way. There's a prologue where you play as a bunch of different characters and you find out the backstory of this kingdom called Rabanaster that was caught in this war between two kingdoms that exist on either side of it and ended up being a battleground for this war there. And their king ended up getting killed and... Then their new king, who was 
the husband of the princess Ash ended up getting killed as well. So they really have no leader. They end up getting annexed by this other kingdom to their west. And then the game actually begins, uh, where you play as Vaughn and you get this really like street-level view of this war orphan uh, trying to get by and doing what he can to protest these Imperials that are occupying the city that he doesn't like. And that works fine for that part of the game, but then he goes and breaks into the into the royal palace to steal a thing, and that's where he runs into Balthier, who is this sky pirate, and he runs into Ash, who is the leader of the rebels, and everybody thinks she's dead, but she's actually still alive. And at that point, they basically take over the story, and Vaughn is just kind of along for the ride and doesn't really contribute much to the story after that. So Vaughn's a little divisive in that sense but apparently this game went through a lot of development troubles uh, which is amusing to say because it went through a five-year development period and i think the square enix producers would kill to have a five-year development (laughs) schedule (laughs) these days Uh, just today or just yesterday the final fantasy 7 remake trailer came out that game was announced four years ago and now they're just now getting more information out for it. So it's quaint hearing about a, a troubled five-year production of a Final Fantasy game. <laughs> the, the story works best on a macro level. It's more about these shifting international powers, which are personified by these heads of states. You've got Vane with the Imperials, and you've got Ash leading the Ravenaster rebels on either side in this uh, a Game of Thrones, if you will. And... Uh, There's really no heroes or villains in this story. Uh, The good guys and the bad guys are contrasted more by their political circumstances. Uh, It's almost a deconstruction because you do play as the rebels. So you're, you're given a sympathetic viewpoint there. They are the good guys and the Empire are your enemies. So they're the bad guys. But the rebels also have these conflicting loyalties and ideologies that makes them fight amongst themselves and try to accomplish their goals in different ways that maybe they don't agree with each other on, so they end up fighting each other over that. And then the Imperials do have members who actually are good people trying to do good things with this empire that they are part of. And one of the characters is actually even a pretty important part of the story. But uh, I don't want to get too much into spoilers. And even the villains themselves, even when they're trying to you know, crush the party and kill armies, they actually have a sympathetic agenda once you get to the twist and find out what that agenda is and it's hard to disagree with their goal except maybe you disagree with their way of going about attaining it (laughs) so there's a really deep story here but there's really shallow characters being used to tell it so it's kind of a weird contrast there but that actually kind of holds true for the entire Ivalice Alliance games, going all the way back to Final Fantasy Tactics. So if you're into those games, you, you probably would like what is in here. But this is the same story. It hasn't been updated. There hasn't been anything new added to it. Same story that was on Final Fantasy XII. And I think many of the story's later problems trend from the fact that this is a JRPG. So you still have to have the big boss at the end of the game who is a giant city-sized god that you have to kill. You know, that does happen in this game. <laughs> and it doesn't really make sense in the context of the story. So it's it's kind of hampered by what the game is. But I still think it's a good story. You just you have to go into it 
understanding what it is and not expecting it to be either like every other Final Fantasy game or like a character-driven drama because it's neither of those things. This is a very old-fashioned, like, political epic. It's almost like a Greek epic in many ways. But as for the game itself, the, as with the understanding the story uh, and having to appreciate it on its own terms, you got to do that with the gameplay as well because I could understand a lot of people being really put off by this game and not really understanding what it was trying to do. Uh, when this game came out, you know, things like World of Warcraft was like a brand new game when this came out. EverQuest wasn't new, but it was it hadn't broken through into the mainstream or anything like that. So uh, MMORPGs were very, very new. And the best way to think about this game is as a single-player MMORPG, or as I like to think of it, as a massively single-player offline RPG. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, so uh, basically, in simplest terms, this is an MMORPG guild management simulator. If you've ever been part of a raiding guild in like World of Warcraft or in EverQuest or in Dark Age of Camelot, whatever game, uh, a lot of the things you're doing in this are going to feel pretty familiar to you. You're training and you're outfitting your core party members. You send them out to farm materials and do quests, and you get them better and better equipment that lead up to doing dungeons and raid bosses to increase their power, and you'll continue on with the story. And like to the point where this is so much like an MMO, gear drops are literally randomized, like uh, Final Fantasy X, which just came out last month, has a lot of activities for you to do to get the best gear in the game. You've got to find the weapons hidden in the map, and then you've got to complete mini-games to power them up more so that we can get the ultimate versions of those weapons. doesn't work that way in Final Fantasy XII, where the best weapons in the game are literally put in boxes in dungeons that only appear at random. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> you're going to be doing some grinding if you want those weapons, and... That's definitely a drag and a mark against the game, but that's just the way it is. And how you can play an MMO as a single player is through the Gambit system, because you do have a complete party of three characters that you control on the map at any given time, and you assign them Gambits, which you can use to create different roles for them. Uh, gambits is basically a very simple AI system where you can direct a character to do a certain action based on the state of an enemy, like... You can direct your party leader to attack the nearest enemy, so that way they will automatically attack anything that they walk near. And you can also direct your other characters, who you are not controlling directly, to target and attack the same thing that, that the party leader is attacking. That way, everywhere you go, with that very simple setup of gambits that only requires one gambit on each character, you will just hit everything that you go near with your sword until it dies. But you can also set up much more complicated things than that, like applying and reapplying buffs and debuffs to your party or to the enemy characters, or to healing if you drop below a certain level, or using certain items when you're in certain conditions, or you can even set up individual gambits to heal specific status effects. Like, if on your mage, if they get blinded, you may not necessarily care if they get blinded, so you can set up a gambit so that way it will ignore if your mage is blinded that way you save uh, an eyedrop item or an asuna cast that because those things don't matter for the mage uh, but the gambit system is simple so it's easy to understand but it may be overly simple so like a, a thing that you might want to set up would be to set up a steel gambit so that way your main character will automatically steal an item from a character, then start attacking. It's really difficult to get the game to play along with that kind of idea, so usually for things like that, 
you're going to want to do those things yourself with manual input. So while it is true that you can set this game's gambits up so that way you really don't have to play it, it, there's even a method out there for grinding where there's one area where enemies spawn infinitely and it's entirely possible to set your gambits up so that way you can just leave the game sitting and have the game farm itself for you. This is a thing that's possible and I actually love it for that. (laughs) But to say that it's completely non-interactive and you don't even have to pay attention to it, that's not true either. You still have to guide your party between fights and you still have to guide them through areas and through dungeons and there's always some wild card situation comes up that if you're not paying attention you're going to lose to it and especially on bosses where it can be really rewarding getting stonewalled by a new boss that just throws this thing at you that you didn't see coming and you have to either change your gambits on the fly or fall back to an old save and set up a new gambit set up for whatever that boss is throwing at you and that's probably where the game is at its most rewarding from a game design standpoint, but I really do wish that they had made the game that made the gambits a little more in depth. So that way you can set up if then and therefore scenarios rather than just if then. But it is what it is, and it's a perfectly functional system. And I think if it was any more complicated, then it, it would start to become alienating. So it's probably good that it is the way it is. I just. I'm just disappointed that I, I still can't find a way to set up a decent steel macro after all these years. So the uh, the combat itself is like live in the field, isn't it? More like an MMO. It doesn't take you to a separate arena. Yeah, I I, I just kind of rolled that in with how I said it's like an MMO. There are no random encounters in this game. Uh, when you go out onto the map, everything is already on the map, and you just run up to it and you just start smacking it, just like in an MMO. And uh, it. There's limited respawning in the area, but usually if you want to if you want to fight things again, you, you just leave the area for a while and come back, and then everything will have come back. That was controversial when this game came out with there was no random encounters, but now it's just it's just a thing now with Final Fantasy XV. And, uh, this was just from an area where Square Enix was just really into this idea, like even uh, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, which was getting a remaster later this year. It also had a lot of MMO stuff in it, not... Not quite on the level of Final Fantasy XII, but its crafting system is very MMO. But the biggest problem in Final Fantasy XII, and it was the thing that really frustrated me with it, because it made the game really repetitive, especially towards the end of the game, was the original license board. And the license board is the character customization. It's the RPG system that is in Final Fantasy XII. Instead of like allocating stat points when you level up, Uh, towards skills or abilities you get license points from defeating enemies and they let you unlock new licenses on this massive license board and there's a license for everything Uh, if if you want to cast the cure spell you have to buy the license for it on the board first if you want to use a certain sword you have to buy the license point you have to buy the license for it on the board first it's it's kind of silly at first but uh, another thing the evilese alliance was really obsessed with was this inexplicable like law system and this was just another layer of that of just adding this bizarre bureaucracy onto a role-playing game uh but the problem was in the original version of final fantasy 12 every character used the same license board and it was not difficult especially if you used the accessory that boosted the amount of license points license points you earn to max out that license board so by the time you got to the end of final fantasy 12 
pretty much all your characters had the same abilities and there was little functional difference between them and it just homogenized them uh and this really hurt the game uh it made it kind of boring to play it made every character interchangeable and that did absolutely no favors for people's complaints that half the cast in this game is completely pointless uh but the solution to that arrived here in this version of the game which has adopted the zodiac job system which keeps the license board but it actually gives 12 different jobs that you can pick for each character that has its own unique license board and these license boards are much smaller and you can only have one of each job assigned to each character and each character can have two jobs so by the time you're at the end of the game you should have each job assigned to at least one of your characters and this has really made a difference it's made it a lot more interesting so like i can't have my frontline fighter who's usually vaughn or bosch can't have them learn cure like i have to have a mage in the background casting that and i can't have my black mage have 2000 hit points because i bought all of the hit point licenses because those hit point licenses do not exist on the black mage board so where i'm at right now in the game like my frontline fighters they have a couple thousand hit points now but my mages they're still down in the 500 area it's going a long way towards making the characters feel distinct and towards making the jobs feel like they actually matter like my black mage is a black mage not just my character that i picked and slapped some magic gambits onto it's really reinvigorated the game for me i'm actually really excited to get back and play this uh, I'm excited to do all of the side content that I never did on PlayStation 2 because I was just sick of playing this game. Uh, I will say this game does have an exhausting endgame. It just goes on and on and on. The last dungeon in this game, I think, is the longest in any Final Fantasy game. <laughs> uh, but I'm really enthusiastic towards this game. I liked the things it was trying to do in Final Fantasy XII. It just kind of failed to do them. But this is the revision of the game. This is the Zodiac Age story. Uh, and I highly recommend it. Nice. Uh, just before we, we depart, I'll just uh, give you an update on uh, Cuphead, because I'm still playing that. Uh, I got stuck on World 3 and its uh, flying missions for a number of days, uh, almost to the point where I was like, you know what, I can't be bothered with this anymore. Uh, but I did persevere. I sort of bought the uh, items that I advise people not to buy last time I talked about Cuphead which was the hearts because it reduces your attack power but they, <laughs> they are really useful on the flying stages and I wouldn't have got through without them. I'm now in the last uh, world in Quell Hell uh, where there's two stages left and I've been stonewalled by the uh, sort of, he's, he's kind of like a boss fight uh, King Dice I think his name is um, and his his level is just there's, there's too many like mitigating circumstances that you can throw you off on there, but it's it's one I'm sure I'll get with uh, with time. I just decided to park it for a little bit. I'm gonna go back to it this weekend. Yeah, so hopefully I'll I'll have that one beaten soon. And I think that was it. Uh, so Andrew, what are you playing this week? I picked up This War of Mine with my gold coins, uh, so that's a game that I was very excited for last year, but I just I couldn't afford it. But I have it now, so I'll be checking that out. 
and talking about it next recording. Nice. Uh, I'm still chipping away at uh, Dragon's Dogma as my main. Uh, I'm going to jump back into Cuphead this weekend. And I also just picked up uh, in a sale New Star Manager, uh, which is a, a football game that's sure to bore Andrew and Ginny. <laughs> it's a management sim uh, sort of spun off from a popular mobile game called New Star Soccer which was like a, a touch football game. It was really interesting. I played it for quite a while and I'm interested to see how it works as a management sim. Okay, thanks for listening to this episode of the Switch Focus podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn and other podcast services. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Switch Focus community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. The links are in our show notes. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can buy us a coffee. Details are on our website. Thanks in advance. If you want to follow us individually on Twitter, you can do. I'm at Flame Rose Toast, Andrew is at Play Critically, and Ginny is at Ginny Woes.
I, I sort of feel like this one as well was like a test for the next one. Yeah. Uh, which was Final Fantasy Eleven, which was... Well, no, actually, that's the wrong way around, then, isn't yeah, it? Final Fantasy XI came yeah, out first. that makes sense. Engine being called Final Fantasy XI. Num- numbers mean things. <laughs> yeah. Um, please edit yeah. at that point, Craig. <laughs> you weak, pathetic fool. 